0: Thank you, Travis and Laura, for ministry and music. And I trust you love Jesus and desire to be responsive to him as we interact with a portion of Mark's gospel this morning. A couple thought questions. How can you claim there is only one way to God? If you claim there is only one way to God, how can you claim there is only one way to God? How much money should I give to God? How can you believe in creation without evidence? Assuming the person asking that believes that there is no evidence. How do unrepentant individuals respond when challenged? Someone is unrepentant. How do they respond when they are challenged? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark, chapter 12. Mark, chapter 12. Mark continues to unveil Christ, who he was. We'll be reading together verses 13 through 17. Mark, chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Mark, chapter 12 beginning with verse 13. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is on this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. In light of Jesus claiming to be the capstone in verse 11 when he is interacting with the religious leaders, he said, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. In light of Jesus being the capstone, the religious people tend to corner him. They attempt to corner him. It seems that the religious leaders are the harshest enemies of Jesus. They give him a harder time than anyone else. And the same seems to be true today. Religious people many times are the harshest critics of Christ. I wonder how many religious leaders today would try to corner Jesus and catch him in his words. Unrepentant people tend to attack others. We find in the passage that we read along with verses 18 through the end of the chapter that each of the three major groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes put Jesus to the test. The Pharisees, in the passage we just read, ask him about taxation. The Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection, Question him about the resurrection. And then we find that a teacher of the law comes to him and wants to talk to him about what is the greatest commandment. Again, seeking to corner Jesus. In each account, Jesus is addressed as teacher. Jesus demonstrates his authority, his power, as he gives a response. And we know that in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus was baptized, there was a voice came up from heaven, this is my beloved Son, whom I love. And he demonstrates over and over again throughout the gospel, Mark, that he is the Christ. Verse 13, later they sent some of the Pharisees, The they goes back to verse 12, which goes back to verse 1, which goes back to verse 27 of chapter 11. He is dealing with the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. They are the ones that are coming to him to talk to him. And in this particular case, we find that they are sending Pharisees and Herodians Kent Hughes says in his commentary on Mark and I quote, there are t- these are two unlike powers which can, be bound or can bind people together. One is love and the other is hatred. Of course, love is to be preferred by far. It is the glue of the Holy Trinity. It is God's gift to the church. In fact, it is his command for her. Nevertheless, hatred, though ultimately destructive and fragmenting, can serve as a devilish cement among otherwise diverse people, end of quote. And as you have the Pharisees and Herodians come, we find that they are opposites, but yet they come together to corner Jesus. The Pharisees were naturalistic. The Herodians were sold out to the Romans. The Pharisees were narrow, conservative, as it relates to Judaism. we find that the Herodians were liberal in their conviction. The Pharisees are right-wingers. The Herodians are left-wingers. The Pharisees, there was resistance to Rome. The Herodians, there was accommodation to Rome. Unlikely people coming together to trap Jesus. Kent Hughes also says, and I quote, So as in the past, these natural enemies allow their common hatred to flow back and forth in grim solidarity as they got together for a powwow. Jesus was a formidable opponent, they agreed. Look how he just turned their questioning of his authority back on them in verses 27 through 33 of Mark 11. Yet there had to be a way. Approach after approach Was suggested, tossed around and dismissed. Then a great idea came: they would ask him a question, which, no matter how Jesus answered, would put him in mortal trouble with either the Jews or the Romans. End of quote. So they send the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus, and their purpose was to catch him. See, they're sending him; they have a purpose to catch him, and it communicates they hope to expose Jesus as a false teacher. They've been trying to corner Jesus since Mark chapter 3 because there they went out of the temple and wanted to find a way to do something so that they could kill him. Catch is used only here in the New Testament. It communicates a violent pursuit No, they're serious. They want to get this guy. They want to eliminate him. The test thus bears a distinct resemblance to the Pharisees' earlier test in the synagogue. In chapter 3, when Jesus healed the man with the shriveled hand, it says, after he cornered them, they went out and plotted how they might kill him. But what happens? They come to Jesus with an intent to catch him in his words, but they say, teacher. You know, they kind of flatter him here maybe. We know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And then they come across with their question. They first of all say you're not swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. We see in chapter 11 when Jesus was dealing with the money changers in the synagogue, you know, he turned over the tables and so on. He didn't pay attention to who they were. And then he quotes, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. No, he wasn't paying attention to who people were. In verses 27 through 33 of chapter 11, he is again dealing with the religious leaders. And what does he do? He corners them. And he says, I'm not going to answer you because you didn't answer my question. In verses 1 through 12 of chapter 12, he again pays no attention to who people are. And he, he shares the parable of the vineyard with the leaders and they grasped the idea that he was talking about them. So they recognized that Jesus paid no attention to who people were as far as how he responded, but he taught, the text clearly says, the way of God in accordance with the truth. And again, he quoted from the Old Testament numerous times as he ministered. So in spite of their flattery, They recognized that Jesus was going to do that which was right. And I wonder in my own thinking sometimes, as they came to Jesus, they recognized that they weren't going to be too successful probably because he doesn't pay attention to who people are. He honors God. Didn't they stop to think that they're going to corner us or he's going to corner us? He cornered everyone else. He doesn't pay attention to who anyone is. He teaches according to what is God. Same thing will happen to us, but whether they grasp that or not, their question is, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? They were hoping to impale Jesus on the horns of dilemma. So they asked the question, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? No matter what he answered, there was going to be a problem. The Greek word for taxes is a transliteration from a Latin word, indicating that Mark is writing to a community whose frame of reference is shaped by Latin. A question about paying taxes to Caesar was predictable in Jerusalem, particularly the temple. For in Judea, money and goods went directly into the Roman coffers, whereas in Galilee, the same were funneled through Rome, through Herod and Tippus. The taxes are referring to an imperial tax and it would have been, a denarius would have been about a day's wages. The denarius was a silver coin bearing the semi-divine bust of Tiberius Caesar with an abbreviated Latin inscription, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. The flip side of the coin bore an image of Tiberius' mother and the inscription, High Priest. The question of the Pharisees and Herodians is, of course, intended to imperil Jesus in a compromise. Support for the taxation will discredit him in the eyes of the people, whereas his refusal to pay the tax will bring Rome down on him. So he's caught in a dilemma. How does Jesus respond? Why are you trying to trap me? He knew what they were trying to do. Why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So they brought him the coin. So they found a denarius. This is not a denarius, by the way, just a quarter. And they brought it to Jesus. And he brings them into the discussion. He asks, whose portrait is this? and whose inscription? Ask two very direct questions. Now keep in mind, when they saw the coin, and they had to admit that it was Caesar's, that in that day, whose picture was on the coin, that's whose it was. So when they say Caesar's, is on the coin, they're saying, what belongs to Caesar. They knew that. They recognized that. Jesus apparently recognized that also. But they're waiting for his answer. Because the Herodians were eager for a no, and they could go to the Romans and bring his end. The Pharisees are hoping for a yes. What's going to happen? Jesus so wisely responds, he just holds up the coin. Now, whose inscription is on it? They have no choice but to give an answer. Caesar's. And in giving the answer, they had to be thinking, we already answered our own question. They didn't want to give an answer, but they were forced to if they were going to get a response from Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. This was an astonishing answer to them because it says they were amazed They admire him. There's admiration. They're filled with wonder. They were amazed at him. There's a brilliant American lawyer who years ago was reading through the Gospel of Mark for the first time. And he came to this account, and he read with great interest because he was involved in a similar type of legal dilemma. He said that he could not read it fast enough and that when he saw Jesus answer, he was astonished. He actually dropped his Bible, exclaiming, that's the most amazing wisdom. The enemies of Jesus, they thought, had caught him in an inescapable dilemma. But the sharp mind of Jesus saw it as an opportunity to respond to them and leave them speechless through the simple use of a coin. See, they're amazed. But still, they don't give up, as we'll pick up on next week. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection. But over and over again, we find that the religious leaders are attempting to corner Jesus, and Jesus is not able to be cornered. So what's the point of this passage? As the capstone, Jesus knows the hearts of people, thus he can answer accordingly. Jesus knew where the Herodians and Pharisees were coming from, and he responds accordingly. And we take this passage and we say, well, that's nice that Jesus was able to do all of this. Let's think about some applications. An application would be use good questions to challenge religious people. Now when I use the term religious I'm using very very broadly. Use good questions to challenge religious people. So some religious person may may ask do all religions lead to god? That's a very strong question because if you say yes, you're communicating in one direction. If you say no, then you're going to be accused of being a bigot and narrow-minded and everything else. Well, maybe respond with the question, and I'm just using in my response a certain religious group. Who did Jesus claim to be? Do all religions lead to God? Come back with a question who did Jesus claim to be? And then, if you're dealing with those who follow Islam, who did Muhammad claim to be? Well, there's a marked difference. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no man comes to the Father except through me. I am the bread of life. I'm the water. Drink from me. Muhammad would say he was a prophet. And stop with that. Use good questions. Another one. From religious people, should we use traditional or contemporary music? Should a church use traditional or contemporary music? That's been around for a number of years, and it's created a lot of conflict and difficulty in the church. Maybe ask a question. Are you using that which comes from a passion or passionate heart to glorify God and unify the body of Christ? Ah, traditional, contemporary, or a combination of both. Question, are you using that which comes from a passion of heart to glorify God and unify the body of Christ? I've heard discussion over music, and some people are very, very strong traditional, and some are very, very strong contemporary. Maybe some are halfway between. But rarely do you hear the conversation saying, "Here we're dealing with religious people. Are we all passionate in our heart to glorify God and to bring unity to the body of Christ?" See a question for religious people. Why do I have to tithe? Someone may say, "Why do I have to tithe?" Does the Bible teach tithing? A response without maybe giving an answer. How much grace have you experienced from God? I'm just posing a question. Another question. How can you believe in creation without evidence? How can you believe in creation without evidence? Maybe you can respond with, do you have an eyewitness to evolution over millions of years? You're not debating whether you have any evidence or not. You're just coming back with, well, do you have eyewitness that you believe in evolution? Don't take me up on this one necessarily, <laughs> but you're sitting in science class like I was in biology class years ago at Delaware Valley College, and the professor was on and on about, you know, evolution and, you know, a number of other things. I wonder what would happen if I would have raised my hand and said, hey, prof, you talk about this, missing link and a number of other things, and you believe in evolution, my question for you is, do you have an eyewitness of what you say, what you are saying is true? I don't know what would have happened. <laughs> I don't know what would happen if you'd used that in high school. But again, just questions to challenge people to think. I think another application would be, Take time to recognize the hypocrisy of religious people, especially leaders, many times, the hypocrisy of religious people. I'll give you a couple of examples. Someone may demand a specific Bible translation or music, but have ungodly relationships. Ah, you've got to use. This Bible translation, whatever it may be, you've got to use this style of music, but yet they're very unloving and ungracious in their relationships. Here's the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Herodians, who wanted to do everything right, but they weren't very godly in their relationships. You must go to church every Sunday or every service, but they're not loving others. Dictate control in leading the church. There's all kinds of rules, but no grace for those who differ. Claim love for Christ, but neglect body life, corporate item, or corporate worship for items they love. Jesus recognized the hypocrisy of the people to whom he was speaking. And he said some very strong things about the Pharisees elsewhere in the Gospels. Think about another application. Be wise when you use questions. Let people come to their own conclusions. Don't over-explain. Seek to let them search for God. God. This ties in with what I mentioned a few minutes ago. How can a good God allow people to suffer evil? How can a good God allow people to suffer evil? This week I got a call from someone, and the individual said to me, this child that I know, that I interact with, has been told that he may have cancer. How can a good God allow that in a child's life? How can a good God allow suffering and evil to come into a life where a person who is godly, like John and Betty Stamm in China years ago, who were killed in and their little baby was able to live, their heads severed as they're going to begin their ministry in China. How can a good God allow a believer to be hit by someone who is driving recklessly and they lose their life? Legitimate questions. Perhaps a question in response would be, Why did God send Jesus to the earth to suffer, die, and rise from the dead? Why did God allow that? Why did God send Jesus? So that he could deal with evil and suffering. And that's part of the message that we proclaim. Another question, can you believe in a God who created the universe? It's crazy. The response with a question might be, what evidence do you have for millions of years? You're not backing them into the a corner, you're just posing a question. And then you might add, you know, I happen to know the eyewitness who was present when the earth was created. In fact, I have three witnesses who were present when the earth was created. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But again, just stopping as you deal with people and religious people to get them to think. You say, why are you putting evolution in the category of religion? It is. It's a religious belief. So I'm putting them in the religious category. Jesus is responding to religious people. We live in a world and seek to respond to religious people. It seems also that humans, including religious people, have a duty to God and to government. And the same would be true today. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Remember, whose inscription is on our coins and dollar bills? (laughs) Maybe not Obama's, but, uh, you know, some past leaders in our country. Very profound statement. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Wrap it up with a final application. Unrepentant people attack others. I said unrepentant, they attack others. We find that the Pharisees, the Herodians, the teachers of the law, the scribes are unrepentant. They're trying to corner Jesus repeatedly. And what do they do? They attack him. They came to Jesus to catch him in his words. And we find that that happens again in verse 18 and so on. A couple who wants help in their marriage. Many times we we'll end up talking about their mate. So Ruth Ann and I go to talk to someone. We go to Travis and we say, Travis, you know, you're an elder in our church. Ruth Ann and I need some help in our marriage. And uh, Travis says, Well, what's going on? I say, Well, this wife of mine, Ruth Ann, is really kind and, or unkind and very unloving and says all kinds of critical things. And she's just not a good wife. And Travis says, well, Ann, what do you think? Well, Dan's just mean and nasty. He don't lead. He doesn't talk enough and on and on. And Travis says, do you want help or don't you? Yeah, we want help. Then you need to stop and look at yourself. See, I'm unrepentant in that situation. Ruth Ann's unrepentant. So, what do we do? We attack each other. And that's what these unrepentant Pharisees and Herodians are doing. They're attacking Jesus, the one who is putting them in a difficult position. Church fights where people stand their ground but don't ask what God says. You know, it's amazing what professing believers. Fight over and the conflict that can be had among professing believers. You know, minor, insignificant things. But do we stop and say, what does God say? Going back to the issue of traditional music or contemporary music, which is right? What does God say about music? So we're having a church fight here. This side says contemporary music, this side says traditional music. And I say to this side, have you done a study of Scripture? What does God say about music? Well, uh, well, I, I say to the temporary group, have you studied Scripture to see what God says about music? Well, well, I. then why are we arguing? Aren't we to glorify God? What does God say? I'm not giving an answer to that this morning. But you see where I'm coming from. Sometimes we want to stand our ground, but we're unrepentant. And we pursue without really considering what's God saying about me. An employee or a student complains about a boss or a teacher, but doesn't love them. You know, teacher so-and-so, you know, Mrs. Brubaker is this way in class. And if you go back a few years, someone could say, you know, Mr. Sober was, you know, he's a tough guy, you know. But are you loving him? What is your responsibility to the teacher? What's your responsibility to the boss? See, the sc- <clears throat> Pharisees and the Herodians are shooting at Jesus, but they never came to the point of saying, we're wrong. He is the Son of God. We need to repent. As you think about the life of Christ, and you think about the Gospels, in the particular passage we're discussing, Mark continues to unveil Christ for who He is. He's the capstone who answers with wisdom and points out the hypocrisy of the religious people. My question is simple. Are you responsive to God, particularly Christ? And how you live and how you respond, but also how you respond to people. Is there a brokenness before him? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Mark revealing to us Christ, how Christ responded. And I'm sure, Father, as the Roman believers to whom Mark was writing heard a passage like this, they were reminded that in spite of the fact that they're persecuted, they were still to respond to those in authority over them in a godly way. Father, may we grow in understanding Christ and who He is and His majestic character. May we submit to Him and have wisdom and understanding in responding to people that You bring into our lives. And if they are religious, not to be afraid to ask questions in response to them. And then let You work in their lives. We want to be ambassadors for your glory, Father, for it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.